0: Christmas is just two weeks away now and so I'm guessing when you woke up this morning, the very first thing that popped into your head was just how thankful you are for John the Baptist. Okay, so if I had to guess, what actually popped into your head was any one of the 2,347 things that you need to do in order to be ready for Christmas. And yet, believe it or not, that's exactly the reason why I want to spend some time this week talking with you about this guy from the Bible that we call John the Baptist. Anytime there's a big day that we're getting ready for, we have a tendency to get extra busy and extra stressed out. And that's when we know when the big day is going to be. Christmas falls on the same date, December 25th every year. But imagine if we didn't know when the date was and we just had to be constantly ready, always ready to go, no matter when it might show up. That was true of the people who lived at the time of Jesus' birth. They had been waiting for almost 2,000 years for God to keep his promise to send the Messiah. And for the past 400 years, they hadn't really even heard anything from God. No new clues, no new hints about where or when he was going to be born. And so, as you might imagine, it was getting tougher and tougher for them to stay ready. And so, God's big plan was that before this promised Messiah would burst out onto the scene, God would send John the Baptist to prepare the way. Here's what the Bible tells us. There was a man by the name of Zechariah who was a priest in the temple of God. He had a wife named Elizabeth. And even though they were both very devout believers in God, they had never been able to have children and now they were very old. One day it was Zechariah's turn to go into the temple and burn incense before the altar of the Lord. And while he was in there, an angel named Gabriel appeared to him with some important news. He first of all said that he and his wife Elizabeth would be having a child. He second of all said that they should give him the name John. I don't know about you, but, but that kind of direction would have been nice when my wife and I were trying to come up with names for our three kids. Then third of all, he told him the important job That this child of his, this child named John, was going to do. The angel said this He will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John's job would be to go out ahead of Jesus to prepare people for Jesus. That's what makes John the Baptist so important. And not just for the people living in Jesus' day, but for us as well. I know right now, a lot of our attention is on the fact that we're getting ready for Christmas. But believe it or not, there's a much bigger day that we always need to be ready for. And that's the day of Jesus' return. And unlike Christmas, we don't know when that big day is going to arrive. And so we just need to be ready all the time. Because that is so difficult, thankfully, God does for us exactly what he did through John the Baptist. We're going to talk about John throughout this week and we're going to see that the message God sent John to proclaim is exactly the same message that we need to hear. We're going to see how God continues to send out messengers to proclaim that message just as he did through John. And the wonderful result is that even though we might never feel as though we're completely ready for Christmas, God gets us ready for a day that's much bigger than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you still send out messengers, as you did with John the Baptist. Keep the busyness and stress of the Christmas season from distracting us from always being ready for your son's return. In his name we pray. Amen. There's a book critic who works for the New York Times. Her name is Perule Segal. And she once wrote, that the most purely and proudly American genre of literature is the to-do list. If you're anything like a lot of people, you might be a prolific author of to-do lists. And if you're anything like a lot of people, the last thing that you probably need right now, two weeks before Christmas, is one more thing to add to yours. And maybe it seems like that's exactly what we get from this guy named John the Baptist. This week we're talking about John and the important work he did to get people ready for Jesus. And if we could sum up John's entire message in one word, it would be the word, Repent. Sounds like one more thing to do, right? Cook, clean, shop, wrap, decorate, and oh yeah, don't forget, repent. Well, what's interesting about John's message is, first of all, where he preached it. We're told that John sort of set up shop way out in the wilderness. Which meant that if you wanted to go hear John preach, you needed to go to him. You needed to leave behind your home and your job and the list of all the chores that you needed to do. And you needed to go way out in the desert. And once you got out there, you probably didn't even get wireless reception to be able to check your email. John didn't call people out into the wilderness to give them one more thing to do to make them even more busy. No, he called them out into the wilderness to get them to leave behind that busyness. And then when it comes to John's actual message of repentance, the Bible helps us understand exactly what that means by comparing repentance to a construction project. Imagine a road that is being built across this vast and barren wilderness. And so when God tells us to repent, he puts it in these terms. He says, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough ways smooth." Clearly, this sounds like a major construction project. It seems as though repentance is an awfully lot of work. And in a certain sense, it is. Repentance is difficult. It's often painful. It's something that needs to be a part of our lives all the time. And yet, in a certain sense, in a very important sense, repentance is the opposite of work. You see, when it comes to repentance, the key is to understand that this road that's being built, it's important to understand what it's for and who it's for. We're building this road not so that we can slowly inch our way back to God, but we're building this road because God, in his love, wants to come near to us. That vast and barren wilderness of sin, the the work of crossing that wilderness, is work that's done not by us, it's done by God. And so what that means is whatever we might be doing that would prevent God from being able to travel that road, well, we need to take that thing and we need to stop it. If there is some sin that we are embracing that is causing us to keep God at arm's length because we'd rather just be left alone to do what we want, we need to stop it. If there are good things that we do in our life, but we do them because we think that by doing them we will inch our way back to God, we need to stop it. Repentance simply means taking all of our work, work that can only distance God from us, and putting it down so that God can lovingly come to us. So yes, as Christmas approaches, it's okay to have your to-do list. Go ahead and cook and clean and shop and wrap and decorate. But, but don't forget, repent. Take whatever work you might be doing because you think that's what's going to bring you closer to God and put it down. Take that to-do list and tear it up and throw it away and instead realize that Jesus wants to come to you to bring you some much needed rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, send your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts the repentance you desire. Tear us away from whatever work we are trying to do to make our way closer to you and bring us to the rest found in Jesus. Amen. This week we're talking about this guy named John the Baptist. And we've seen how it was John's job to get the people ready for the promised Messiah. We've seen how he set up shop out in the wilderness and told people that the way to be ready was to repent. But if John was really going to get people ready for the Messiah, there was still one important detail that needed to be worked out. John needed to know who the Messiah was. And so, thankfully, when it came to that question, God left absolutely no doubt. Not in John's mind and not in anyone else's. Here's how it happened. We've been calling this guy John the Baptist all week without really explaining why he's called that. As you might imagine, it's because John the Baptist is very closely associated with baptism. As people came out to the wilderness and heard John's message of repentance, they were also baptized by John in the Jordan River. Well, one day, as everyone else was being baptized, this guy named Jesus also came to be baptized by John. And at that point, John apparently knew enough, at least about Jesus, to know that this shouldn't be. In fact, it should be the other way around. He shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. Jesus should be baptizing him. Nevertheless, Jesus insisted, and so Jesus was also baptized by John. And right at that moment, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descended and landed on Jesus and suddenly a voice from heaven, the voice of God the Father, boomed from above these words, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God used baptism to mark, to identify Jesus as his son and as the promised Messiah. In fact, John would later say that that's how he knew exactly who the Messiah was It was because of Jesus' baptism. So if you're going to be ready for Jesus, you obviously need to know who Jesus is. You need to know that he's God's son. You need to know that he's the promised Messiah. You also need to know what type of savior he came to be. John was right about Jesus, that he didn't need to be baptized. He had absolutely no sins that needed to be washed away. But, but by willingly allowing himself to be baptized, Jesus was actually stepping into our place. Jesus was taking on himself our sin. He was taking on a burden that he would then have to carry all the way to his death on the cross. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. But in order to be ready for Jesus, you also need to know who you are. And just like he did with Jesus, so also God uses baptism to leave no doubt about that question too. I don't know about you, but it's easy to read what the Bible says about sinners, about God's unconditional love for sinners, his full forgiveness for sinners. And to think to myself, boy, that sounds nice but, but that sounds like somebody else. God's got the wrong guy, that's just not me. And so thankfully, in his love, God takes all of those wonderful promises of forgiveness and eternal life and he joins them to something visible. Something tangible something that we can see. He joins them to a real event that really happened at a real place and in a real time, he joins them to baptism. And in baptism, in your baptism, in my baptism, God says to us the same thing he said to Jesus. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the wonderful gift of baptism so that there would be no doubt about who Jesus is and about who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Christmas gets closer and closer, there might already be some presents wrapped and placed under the tree at your house. And of course, part of the fun is watching the suspense build as we wait and we wonder what it is that's underneath that wrapping paper. Of course, most of the time, that suspense comes to an end when we finally get to unwrap the gift and see what's inside. But, maybe every now and then, we unwrap a gift, look at the picture there on the box, and, and still wonder to ourselves, what exactly is this? And what exactly does this do? Believe it or not, it's possible to have the same questions about the gift that God gives us at Christmas, the gift of his son, Jesus. Even if we know who Jesus is, that he's God's son, that he's the promised Messiah, we still might wonder, well, what exactly is he here for? What exactly is he here to do? And so thankfully, when God sent John the Baptist to get people ready for Jesus, he made sure that John answered that question too. This week, we've been talking about John the Baptist and the important work that he did to get people ready for Jesus. He told them that the way to be ready for Jesus was to repent. As he baptized Jesus, God made it very clear that Jesus was his son and the promised Messiah. But what exactly was he there to do? Well, a short time after Jesus had been baptized by John, Jesus was walking toward John. John had a a bunch of people gathered around him, listening to him preach, as was often the case. And as Jesus approached, John pointed at Jesus and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Seems like kind of an odd thing to say, right? There's a human being walking toward you and you say, Look, a lamb. Even though John's words might be confusing to us, the people who originally heard them would have known exactly what John meant. You see, in the Old Testament, lambs were often used as animals of sacrifice. Maybe the most familiar and most famous animal, the the most famous lamb that was sacrificed was the Passover lamb. Every year at the Passover, the people were to select one lamb from their flock, a lamb without any spot or blemish or defect. They were to slaughter that lamb, take its blood, spread it on the door frames of their houses, and then eat that lamb as part of the Passover meal. In other words, even though the lamb had nothing wrong with it, it had no sin or guilt of its own, the lamb became the victim. The lamb was put to death. And of course, all of this pointed ahead to the coming Messiah. Messiah. Even though Jesus had no sin and no guilt of his own, the world's sin was placed on him. And so as a result, he became the victim. He was put to death and his blood was shed on the cross. So how does God get us ready for Jesus' arrival? Yes, he tells us exactly who Jesus is. He's God's son, he's the promised Messiah, but he also tells us exactly what Jesus came to do. And that's very important because it's so very easy for us to really use Jesus for something else. We might think to ourselves that Jesus is the guy who sets the good example or inspires us to live the way that God wants us to live. Maybe Jesus is the guy who helps us cope with all of our problems or get through the day-to-day struggles of our lives. Maybe Jesus is the guy who serves as the spokesperson or even the mascot for whatever political or social causes happen to be passionate to us. Can we use Jesus for all of those things? I suppose. But it would sort of be like getting a brand new iPhone for Christmas. And and as soon as you unwrap it and take it out of the box, you say, this is perfect. I've got this wobbly end table and I've just been looking for the perfect thing to put under one of the legs to stabilize it and make it stay put. Could an iPhone serve that purpose? Could an iPhone do that? I, I suppose. But is it safe to say that you'd be missing out on what the iPhone is really for? Yeah, of course. So, as we get ready to receive the gift that God gives us at Christmas, let's remember John's words. What is that gift? Well, look. It's a lamb. And what is it for? It takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your willingness to sacrifice your innocent Son for a world of guilty sinners. Keep our eyes focused on the Lamb of God Rather than carrying the burdens we feel ourselves, help us place them all on him. In his name we pray. Amen. All week long we've been talking about John the Baptist and the important work that God did through him. God sent John to get the people ready for Jesus and he did that by telling them to repent and by pointing them to Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. John did that work faithfully. He did it no matter who was listening. In fact, John preached that same message to the heads of religion in his day. To groups of people known as Pharisees and Sadducees, even though they didn't really want to hear it. John also preached that same message to heads of state. There was a ruler in the region where John preached named Herod Antipas. And one day, Herod decided that he was going to go and marry his brother's wife. And so John told Herod that he should repent. And so Herod told John that he could go spend some time in prison. So here was this guy who had been chosen for this special job even before he was born. He had carried out that job faithfully. And where did it get him? What was his reward? Well, it landed him in a prison cell. In fact, John would never get out of prison. Eventually, Herod had John beheaded. And so it's no wonder that while John was there in prison, apparently he had some doubts about who Jesus was. From his prison cell, he sent a group of his disciples to go and ask Jesus an important question Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Perhaps you can relate to how John felt might be easy for us to think that if Jesus really is the Messiah, then being a follower of Jesus ought to make our lives better. But of course, it doesn't take very long being a follower of Jesus to find out that that's not the case. In fact, sometimes it's the very fact that we are followers of Jesus that can make our lives more difficult and painful. And like John, we too might have doubts. Not whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, but maybe whether following Jesus is really worth it. Thankfully Jesus is big enough to handle whatever doubts we might have. When John sent those disciples to him to ask that question, Jesus sent them back saying this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus isn't just bragging there. He isn't just showing John his resume. Each and every one of the things that Jesus mentions there is something that had been prophesied about the Messiah in the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, look at all of the promises about the Messiah that have already been fulfilled and use that as your source of confidence, even as you see other promises that seem like they're not being kept. Friends, it might be easy for us to have the very same doubts that John had and to have the same questions that John asked. And yet, believe it or not, we have it even better than John did. We've seen the entirety of Jesus' work, not just the beginning part. We've seen every last promise about Jesus be fulfilled, including, his, including the promise that he would suffer, die, and rise from the dead. Every last promise about Jesus has been kept. And so even as we see other promises that we still have to hold on to in faith, promises that seem like they're not being kept and seem to be the opposite of what we experience with our lives, promises that God would guard and keep us, that he would always leave us and never forsake us, that he would keep us safe and eventually bring us to our heavenly home. Even as we hold on to those promises in faith in spite of what we see, we can be confident, fully confident, that those promises will be kept as well. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we wait for Jesus' return, what we see with our eyes is often the opposite of what you tell us to believe. Use the promises you've already kept to give us confidence that you will keep every promise until you bring us to our heavenly home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Hey, everyone. Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Did you know that the video you just saw and everything we do at Time of Grace is completely donor-funded? which is our way of saying we don't have a tree that grows money in the back of our office. And we don't get government funds and we're not connected to one specific church. And even though we get to do media ministry, we're not flush with cash. Instead, we rely on people just like you, whose open hearts and generosity let us spread the message of Jesus to more and more people through so many platforms. So, thank you so much for your support. All of you who have given and made this possible, we are grateful for you. And we really need all of you. Uh, to step up, be generous, so that we can spread the message of God's grace to the ends of the earth. Thanks again and have a great day. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here from Time of Grace. Thank you so much for investing your limited time to grow in your faith with us. But could I ask you for one more favor? I'm sure you're itching to check out social media or go on to the next part of your day but you could do a huge help for the kingdom of God if you would rate and review this podcast. Just taking a few seconds of your time will help other people to find time of grace, which matters so much to us because we want people to hear about grace, to hear about Jesus, to hear about eternal life. So thanks for taking a little more time. We pray that God blesses you with a great day and we'll see you soon.